Amen. If you're taking your seats, let me introduce myself. My name is Andrew Storms. I'm one of the one of the elders here at Antioch Community Church. I've been privileged to serve in that capacity since April of last year. Just so honored for you guys that have been going here. Maybe you're new here even this semester, or maybe even it's your first day. So let me say how privileged we are to speak in front of you today. I don't get this chance often, but when I do, I love to take advantage of it and just share my heart and what I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart and in my life. And so I have my beautiful family with me this morning, Elena. It's not true. Not all redheads are mean. This woman is a woman of God. She is as nice. My, yeah. Hey. It's true. I tell people that if you've met Elena, you think she's nice. She's the exact same way at home, if not nicer. She's an amazing woman of God. I have my son, Drew, daughter, Gracie, son, Grant, and um, baby, Lincoln. So we have a six and a half, four and a half, two and a half, and a half. Wow. So we got four kiddos. It's awesome. It's good. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I just want to just kind of share just briefly before we get into today's message, just a cool little story about how God just always makes himself known to us in such a small, special, intimate way. As a... Um, over Christmas, I received some money uh, from my parents to get something for myself that I wanted. It, it was 40 bucks, and of course I lost it. My parents sitting right here today, they have no idea I lost the money, but now you know, I lost it. 40 bucks. So I looked for weeks and weeks. We had gone from Brenham to Houston and back home, and I just, I couldn't find it. It was nowhere to be found. And so it was literally about a month ago, a couple months had gone by, you know, and one day I was at my home, and I said, man, I would... I just prayed to God. I said, God, I would really like to find that $40. We don't spend a lot on ourselves. And I said, you know, I said, I really, I don't even want to look for it. I really don't. I don't want to look for it. I, I just want it. And so <laughs> I was reminded of a few stories in my own life where um, I understood the value of tithing and offering. And if, if some of you college people, you've heard my story about the gold chain and the black wallet, if you're familiar. So all those things kicked in. And I remember that I have access to God because I am faithful to him, not by what I do, but because of what he does. And so I, again, quoted the scripture that said that if we bring all of our tithe, the 10% to God, and we give it to the local church, to this, that he will then rebuke the devourer, which is an enemy in our lives, and he said that he can't steal from us. So uh, beside the fact that I just told God I would really like that, he reminded me of that I have access to get that back. And so there, that day, in that moment, same time, I just told the enemy, I said, look, you stole that $40 from me. I was at fault, I lost it, but you stole it from me. I said, you got one hour to give me that back. <laughs> and I'm not looking for it, I'm not. It's gonna appear, you got one hour. God is my witness, I am cleaning out my closet. Totally forgot about the prayer. And I go through this box from this summer when we had moved from you know, June, July, and I'm going through and I'm finding old receipts and you know, birthday cards, and I'm throwing them out. And as I come to the middle of the stack, I look, and there's a sealed envelope, bank, totally sealed. I open it up, and there's a $50 bill in there. Come on! And I'm able to share it with my kids. They're like, is that a miracle of God? And I'm like, yeah, it is, because he literally placed that right there for me to get and spend. I also knew that at some point I would find that $40. I was very confident in that. And just about a week or two ago, there it was sitting on some shelf. It had no business being with an attached note from my parents that I got to read and to re-honor me. But I just want to say that the Lord takes care of us, and $50, it's already been spent, the other 40 has been spent, but you know what? <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, that testimony didn't get spent. It gets to be used as often as I need it, amen? 
Don't, don't miss those small moments when the Lord just blesses you and kisses you and says, hey, I still love you. Yeah. It's all good. It's all his anyway. Amen. Yeah. Last week, if you weren't with us, I had the opportunity to speak and we looked at a four-step process or a journey that's found initially in the Old Testament that allows us to locate where God actually has us in our lives. If you didn't get the chance, I would strongly suggest you podcast that. I think it could bring a lot of clarity into your life as far as why you are on the journey you're on and where God has you. Just quickly recapping that, if you were here, maybe you can help me a little bit. We know that the first step was that we had to acknowledge that it was the lamb that came and purchased our freedom. And we talked about the children of Israel and how they had to have the blood over the doorpost. We continued that on and we talked about that your past is buried when you choose to walk through baptism. That was their Red Sea experience. We saw the shadow or the type of the Old Testament and the way that God deals with us in our lives. And once we have crossed the Red Sea, we find ourselves in the wilderness. And our challenge there was to not grumble, but to stay humble. We know that the Lord takes us into the wilderness, he says, to humble us and to test us, to show us what's in our heart, and more importantly, to see if we'll walk by every word that comes out of his mouth. And that's what he did. And when those 40 years were up and he finally removed the generation that was a complaining generation and he put Joshua and those men together, he said, now it's time for you to cross the Jordan and go possess the land. And so that's where we came from. But, but understanding that, that there is value inside of the Old Testament. We, we use the scripture from Matthew chapter 13, verse number 52. We use it again this morning. It says that he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore, every teacher of the law, you got to understand that the law is the Old Testament. The teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. If you take somebody that knows the Old Testament, that can see it for what it is, but they have now become a disciple of Jesus Christ, it says in the scriptures that they are like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So we've had access to these old treasures for quite some time. But the problem is that we couldn't see it. But remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16. He said, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But I love verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So now we can see the entirety of Scripture and the value that it holds. But we have to ask, why would we need the veil even to be removed from our eyes? Is it just so we can have cool revelations or cool thoughts. But two verses down in verse 18 of the same chapter, he gives why we must have the veil removed. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We have to have the veil removed in order for us to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it says that Jesus says, I am the word. He is the word. He is the word become flesh. So we know that if he's the word, he's not just the New Testament, he's the Old Testament, and he's everything between. It says that by him and through him and for him are all things. When we see that, we become like him. And so I want to know, are there any new treasures after Jesus spoke this that we can find, like in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, that might connect with the old treasures we talked about last week to help us understand why does God even take us into the wilderness? Why has he even created a promised land? Why did we have to come here to earth and go through this journey of being redeemed and baptized and learning to hear what God says? Why does he even do that? Why are those times painful? Why do they seem stressful? Why 
Does he allow that? Is anybody, anybody else interested in finding out maybe what he wants to do through the New Testament to bring that to life? Can I get an amen? Yes. Amen. We're going to look at a story. I'm going to walk down it verse by verse, beginning in Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up the story in verse number 13, and I'll give some backstory in just a moment. It says in verse 13 of Luke 24, it says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Earlier in the chapter, we find out that this is actually the day that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. It's what we would call Easter morning. It's that Sunday morning, and the women have gone before earlier in the chapter, and they've gone to the tomb, they've taken the spices, and they've taken these things to, to anoint Jesus' body, and they're trying to figure out how are we going to get this large stone rolled away and when they come up to the place, they see that the stone has been rolled away, and they're in shock. And they see these two guys that are dressed in white, these angels, and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? And they're like hysterical. And they run back, and they tell all of the disciples what's going on, and nobody believes them. They said, you're crazy. You're out of your mind, except for Peter. He runs and sees what's going on, and all the rest just left. They're in this disarray, and this is when we pick it up, that two of these guys, two of the disciples are there on the road, and they're traveling to Emmaus about seven miles Away, as best I can tell, seven miles would take about two hours to walk. So these guys, on the very day of the resurrection, they have no idea what has happened. They just know the women are talking crazy. And now they're going to move on and just go back to their old lives. In verse number 14, it says, And while they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. I find it fascinating that these guys aren't even praying. They're just talking. They're just discussing things. They're just talking about the events that had just taken place that weekend with the, the crucifixion and, and Jesus, this man, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and that in itself is just mind-boggling that Jesus Christ himself, on the very day that he comes back to life, chooses to walk along two guys that are just talking about what had happened. Now, I don't know about you, but me, if I were in his shoes being a human with flesh, the first guy I'd go visit is Pontius Pilate. I'd say, hey, look at me, I told you. That Roman soldier that pierced me with my side, I think I'd have a few words with him and show him, look, I told you I'd come back to life. I told you I would raise this body back up, but he doesn't even approach it. Who does he go to? He goes to his disciples that are just talking and discussing. Have you ever known Jesus to do that? When you don't even have the strength to pray and all you're doing is going through some hard time, has anybody ever found out that he shows up when you least expect it? I'm so happy that he does that. And these guys are sitting there, they're just talking about what's going on, and in verse 16 it says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. We know these are disciples of his. It doesn't specify, it gives the name of one, but we really don't know. But it says they can't see him, but I want you to notice that any time Jesus, after the resurrection, is presented, nobody ever recognizes him. I challenge you, go look at your scripture. You never find a resurrected Jesus recognized. But what he does is he chooses to reveal himself. The reason that is is because our flesh cannot see a resurrected Savior. It's our spirit. It's our heart that does it. And we wonder why the world today can't see him. It's because that veil's still there. It still remains but when we turn to the Lord, he removes the veil, and now we're able to see him for who he truly is. Amen? 
The flesh cannot see him. So these guys, they don't, they don't recognize him. They, they, I mean, he, he literally is walking beside them, and they can't see it. I mean, I would think you would have to at least, maybe if they glanced, like, hey, hey, did you notice that guy? He's got some holes in his wrist, you know, and there's got to be some things that tip him off, or he looks kind of, he's got some scars down there. Look at his feet. Wow. Do they not notice, like, the way he's speaking? Like, he's been around them before. Maybe just the way he puts one foot in front of the other. They don't, like, they're not picking up on that. Is it because he prevented them, or is it because they're so wrapped up in the events that had happened that they're not even paying attention to what's going on? And in verse number 17, he says to them, Jesus says, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. Now, it said they were walking down the road, and now when he asks them, what are you talking about, it said they stood still and just looked depressed. Have you ever heard something so stupid that it just makes you stop what you're doing? It's kind of what happens here, right? They're walking alongside, and they're going with this guy, and he's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, really? Like, are, like do you not, have you, yeah, well, are you paying attention? And sure enough, that's what it does in verse 18. Look at that. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Do you hear the frustration in his voice? Like, are you kidding me? What rock do you live under that you haven't figured out? And so they ask him. And he says to them, what things are you talking about? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word and sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. I don't know for a fact, but it's not a stretch to imagine they had to have seen him and the way he was treated that week and the way that he was crucified. We know that people watched from a distance. Nobody wanted to get too close. They didn't want to see and be a part of that crucifixion. But these guys had literally had their Savior, this guy that they're pinning their hopes on, had been literally ripped apart. And now they're talking with this man. They don't even realize it's him. How fascinating is that, that the Lord is withholding himself because he wants to reveal him in a deeper way. Verse 21 gets to the heart of the matter. Here's why they're struggling, and this is what it is. This is why I struggle in my life. This is why you struggle with the problems in your life. It says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. There's a verse in Proverbs that says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, and that's what these guys are dealing with. They're dealing with a sick heart, they were thinking, I thought this was the guy that was going to come. You have to understand in that time, there were some people that believed that this Messiah that had been prophesied about was going to come, and he was going to overthrow the government, and he was going to take over, and these guys that were his disciples were going to sit on his right side and sit on his left side, and they were going to help rule, and they were going to be vindicated for everything that they had ever gone through. That's who they were pinning all of their hopes on, and they said, we were hoping it was going to be this guy. And so now the verse, next few verses, they talk about that the women are going hysterical and they're saying they don't know where his body is and it's just getting nuts. And finally in verse number 25, he says to them, you fools. He stops. He's like, you're foolish. That's what he says. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He said, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. So that you have the one section here 
in Jerusalem, the Jews that were following him, they thought he was going to come in all of his power. But there was also a second group at that time that, that knew the prophecies. They knew what Isaiah had said, and they said, this guy that's coming is going to suffer tremendously. And they were always at odds with each other. Well, I think he's going to come in power. Well, I think he's going to suffer. And Jesus comes to them, and he says, guys, it's both. I had to go through this suffering. I had to go through this breaking, through this testing in my life, so that now I can enter into my glory. Is anybody catching that? I have found error in my life. As I was preparing this message, I was convicted because I come from the belief that I hold true to is that when I approach God, I have to come to him with this humble attitude because he is greater. And I don't talk down about myself, but I acknowledge that I'm human and I make mistakes. So how can an imperfect Andrew Storms get anything accomplished I need Almighty God to do that. Is that true? Yes. But then I talk with other guys, even here at this church, we've gotten into disagreements. They're like, I don't think you have to approach it like that. I think we should come from a place of strength because God has made us more than conquerors and we're priests. Is that true? Yes. And so what happens is there were never heated arguments. We're going back and forth like, I don't know, maybe we'll just all get there one day. And God woke me up and said, Andrew, it's both. It's both. Like you have to come from a place of humility and be ready to be broken in front of me and realize that you can't do anything without me. But at the same time, I've called you to become a king. I've called you to become a prince. I've called you to take dominion and authority where you can get your $50 back or whatever you need and in greater realms that I can actually get things accomplished on this earth, you fool. Man, I hope he doesn't call me a fool again, but I felt it in all sincerity and I received it. God, forgive me. You know, the guys that I spoke with, forgive me. Like, we're, we're all wrong. We need, it's both. It's everything. He's a God that's so gracious. And so he wakes these guys up, and he said, it's both. And then I love this. In verse number 27, it says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. We mentioned it last week. If I'm Jesus right here, I'm not talking about Moses. I'm talking about how I turned water into wine how I raised Lazarus from the dead, how I just went to the cross, hello, look at me right here, and look at my feet, trying to get them to recognize, but instead he actually goes back to the Old Testament. Fascinating that he understood the value of the written word and what that would look like. Wouldn't that be a great trip to be on? For seven miles. I don't know how fast he walked, but let's just say two hours again. For two hours on the day of his resurrection, he doesn't go to a 1,000 people and say, hey, it's me, I won, we're all good. He goes to two guys that are in despair, that are so blinded by their pain, and he walks beside them, and he begins to speak to them and explain the Old Testament to them, to show them who he was. Man, I would love to be on that trip, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be great? What's awesome is you can be. It's what it says in Mark chapter 4. Listen, it says, He didn't say anything to the crowds without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You know how you get the answers to life? You spend time with him and you get alone with Jesus. Why do you think here at Antioch we push you so strong to spend daily time with Jesus? Because if I just get up here on a Sunday, or Chris, or Tyler, or Kent, Mitchell, whoever, all you're doing is listening to advice that's pretty good. But when you get alone with Jesus, it's what his word says is he explains 
everything. Who else would have the words of life? It's not me. Jesus inside of me, but you're not taking me home tomorrow morning. But you can take him home with you tomorrow morning, and you can spend time with us. Where else are we going to turn to? You go to the media, turn your phone on Monday morning and see what's going on and get truth and life out of that. Why do you think they hate him so much? Because he alone has the words of life. You can go on that road to Emmaus on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. It doesn't have to stop. He wants to come alongside of you. Amen? In verse 28, as we begin to wind this story down, it says, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. After two hours of talking about Moses and Daniel and David and Isaiah and all these guys in the Old Testament, he says, I'm just, I'm out, I'm good, we're good, see you later. And look what they say in verse 29, but they urged him, saying, stay with us. Man, if we could learn the value of those three words, stay with us us, how our lives would be changed. That's when we come in on a Monday morning and we spend time with the Lord and we get blessed and then we just kind of leave him and we just part our own ways. We figure out why is the rest of my day such a wreck? Because we've never invited him in to stay with us. He doesn't want to leave. He's just going to act as though he's going further because he wants to see the hunger. He wants to see who really wants me to show myself. What do you think they would have done? Would scripture have recorded this had they allowed him just to go on his way? They would have never known who he was, and the same holds true for you and I, that if you don't invite him to stay, you're not going to know who he is. They said it's getting toward evening, and the day is now over, and so it said he went in to stay with them. He just wanted an invitation. In verse number 30, when he'd reclined at the table with them, it says he took the bread, and he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Look at this. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Gone. Vanishes from their sight. That is, something is off here. You mean to tell me that they have walked with him for seven miles. They've listened to his voice. They had to glance his way. They had to understand what he was talking about. And now all of a sudden, they show up and they go to eat a meal with him and that's when they recognize him? He break, well, let, let's see, what, let's see what, it, what, what happens here. Because my question is, what did he do at that table that he couldn't accomplish in seven miles for two hours? What did he do? In verse number 32, it said, They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And, and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. These guys ran back probably for however long it took them, and they found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them, saying that the Lord has really risen, and he's appeared to Simon, verse 35. Then they began to relate their experiences on the road, and watch this, and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Don't you find that when you recognize something, it's because you've seen it more than once? So I wonder, is there a time in Scripture perhaps Old or New Testament, where Jesus also broke bread with his disciples. Well, we don't have to think too far, because if you look back just a few pages on Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus on the night of his crucifixion. And listen to this story as it sets up in chapter 22, beginning in 
Verse number 14, it says, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, and when he had taken some bread and he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Are we not the body of Christ? Doesn't he say that in his word, that we're his body? So he took the bread, the body, his body, and he gave thanks or he blessed it and then he broke it apart, and then he gave it. He says, do this in remembrance of me. We think that means eat the bread, but what he's saying is do this. It's a command. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, allow yourselves to be taken. Yes, allow yourselves to be blessed, but step three is you have to be broken in order so that you can be given away. Coincidence? I don't think so. Matthew chapter 14 in verse number 19, he's feeding the 5,000, the multitude. How are you going to take just a little bit and feed everybody that needs to be fed? He says, ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and then breaking it, he began giving it to them. And the disciples gave it to the crowds. You can find this all throughout in Mark 6 and Luke 9, Matthew 15. Every single time that Jesus has the bread, you and I, the body of Christ, in his hands, it's the same four steps. Say it with me. He takes us. He blesses us. He breaks us so that he can give us. Amen? So if you look at that, it sounds like a fun parallel. Like, that's great. I can kind of see that. But we talked about that you have to be able to tie it in, and Jesus, the totality of the word. So you remember on the road to Emmaus, this story we just went through, who was the first prophet that Jesus brought up to their remembrance? Moses, right? Moses. If you know the story of Moses, Moses, a young boy, was put into a basket and set in the reeds because of fear that he was going to be killed. And we know that Pharaoh's daughter came and took him, and then he was raised in his house. Did you know that the name Moses actually means taken from the reeds, that's what it means. And he was immediately taken into a place of blessing. He was taken into Pharaoh's house, the best education, the best food, the best clothes, the best of what we would figure out a life would be great. And what happens is over time, through that time of taken, that's what his name is, through the time of blessing, we know that through some situations that, that Moses felt called back to his people and he, he saw the Egyptian mistreating one of the, the Jewish people and so he he, he killed him, and he fled, and he goes through this whole process, and we actually find him. It's, there's not a whole lot of verses about it, but it's literally 40 years that Moses is on the backside of the mountain. His father-in-law named Jethro, he's watching his sheep. He's a shepherd for this man. For 40 years, God has taken him. He has blessed him in the house of Pharaoh, but then he has broken him. He has taken him out into the wilderness, the one we talked about the other day, will you walk by every word that comes out of my mouth? But why did he do that? So that he could give them back to the Israelites, so that he could be the one that would lead because he would do what God has told him to do. 
So if you have received Jesus, you've bought into the blood of the Lamb, and you know that he has paid the price for your life, I don't think anybody in here can say that God has not blessed them. Raise your hand if God has blessed you, and you know it. That's everybody in here, amen? So the question becomes, how do we finish that process? If he takes us and he blesses us, then we have to finish it out to be used appropriately. We have to go through brokenness so that he can multiply us out or give us. But I think that's where we get stuck. How do we move from the place of blessing into the place of breaking? And that's what I'm going to explore as we finish this up. To do this, I'm going to have just a little simple illustration. I'm going to invite my oldest son, Drew, is going to come up here and help me this morning. Y'all give Drew a hand. So this is my son, Drew, so I'm going to verify that. Drew, am I your father? Yes. Yes, I am your dad. Andrew, who do you live with? You. He lives with me, that's right. <laughs> Drew is going to be seven years old in June, a mighty man of God, amazing. Me as a father, and you dads out there know this, whether it's a young boy or young girl that you have, you have so much pride, you have so much amazing feelings for your children. My, my love for him is unending, and it's through relationship that he has things. Do you, have a, do, you, do you do some work around the house? Yes. Yeah, he cleans his room. This guy can clean some bathrooms before life group like you'd never believe. Awesome, awesome. Do you have a job outside of the home that pays you money? No. No, daddy doesn't want to get in trouble. We're not trying to hire this boy out. <laughs> what Drew may or may not understand is that everything that he has is because of me. I can give it to him. I can bless him. He may have some toys in his room that he thinks are his, but I either gave those to him or I allowed those to be given to him on somebody else's behalf. You understand? Yeah. So it's through relationship that my love for him that I want to bless him. I want to take him places with me. I don't just go on a trip and say, well, I'm just going to leave Drew. I want to take him. He's part of me. Not only do I want to take him, I want to be able to bless him and throw it Throw it's, it's through relationship. It's not a religious thing that said, well, you were born from your mother, I'm, you know, his, her, her husband, and so I guess I'll just keep you. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like, but we do that, do we not, in Christianity? Well, I got saved, and it's all good. I guess I'm supposed to go to church. I guess I'm supposed to go to a life group. That's not it, guys. It's about relationship right here. I want to bless him. I want to give him things. So this may not sound like much today, but Drew, just because I love you, because of relationship, because you or my firstborn son. I just want to bless you this morning. I'm just going to give him 10 bucks. Not much, just an illustration. This guy's going to walk away with 10 bucks. So Drew, I'm going to give you $10 this morning, buddy. Cool? Whoa, 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 whoa. Come back, come back, come back. <laughs> Hopefully I've raised him correctly. We're about to find out. What should you normally say if I'm going to give you something of value? Thank you. Yeah. So, Drew, that was pretty much the wrong response. What were you planning on doing with that 10 bucks? Figure out what I'm going to do with it and maybe spin it on something later. Just spin it on something later. Just do whatever the heck you want with it? Yeah. Doesn't really matter what I want to do. It's just whatever, whatever he wants to do with what I have his father has given him, he decides, you know what? I don't even want to say thank you. I, I, hey, it's, it's his, right? No thank you. No gratitude. Just, hey... I'm going to do with it whatever I want to do with it. It doesn't matter if it's money, 
We could be talking about your skills, your talents, anything that the Father has blessed you with. Do we even go back? Do we even thank him? Do we even say, hey, I appreciate all that you've given to me, be it money or something else? Or do we just walk away and say, hey, I'm going to do this all on my own. I'm going to figure it all out. I know what to do with it. I'm smart enough. I don't need any of your help. So, Drew, that wasn't the right response, buddy. Let's try this again. <laughs> From a place of relationship, because I do honor you and I love you. So we're going to rewind this. Let's try this again. Uh, Drew, I would really like to just bless you with $10 today. Here you go, bud. I do not want that. <laughs> you don't want my $10? No. Anybody else want 10 bucks? Raise your hand. Hey. They all want 10 bucks. You don't need $10? No. Why not? I already have enough. Well, he already has enough. Wow. Maybe I should be getting stuff from him. <laughs> so he already has enough. I'm trying to give him more than what he has. It's got some value to it. And he said, you know what? I'm good enough. I'm full. I got it all taken care of. Don't need your help. Yeah, we're in a relationship. And yeah, I'll come see you every now and then if I need something. But I got enough. I don't need it. Wrong answer. Try again. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Here we go. All right, Drew, let's try this again. Third time, see if we can get this right, buddy. I got $10, Drew. I would just love to bless you with it because I love you. You're my son. Here you go. Thanks, Dad, but can you help me figure out what I'm going to do with it? Wow. What a great answer. Yes. Yes. Amen. First off, he said, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really makes my heart as a father proud. It makes me happy. And then he turns around and asks, if I can help him? Heck yeah, I'll help you with it. Let's bless somebody today. You want to bless somebody? Yes. I think maybe we should give that 10 bucks to somebody. How many people could we bless with that? One. One person. That's all we get, right? Well, I like to be kind of generous. So you know what? Let's, let's actually let's bless more than just one person. How about that? All right, so what do you want to do if we want to bless more than one person, but all I did was give you a $10 bill? Maybe split it. Split it? Okay, mm -hmm. go ahead. Can you split it? No. Why not? I don't have that. You don't have that. Mm -hmm. Then I have to do it. You know what? Just so happens, I actually do. So what would you like to do with that $10? Give it back. You would like to give it all back to me? Mm -hmm. You would like to place it back in the Father's hands so that he can do with it as he sees fit? Drew, I'm going to break this tin so that, so that you can actually give this away. So, Drew, what I have right here is 10 $1 bills. How many people can we bless now? Ten. Boy, smart. He gets it. He gets it. All right, so, Drew, you and I are going to partner together. I love your attitude, and I love your heart. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you... Ten one dollar bills, and you get to pick. You just go be a blessing to anybody you want to, and I want you to give it to ten different people. I want you to give them a dollar bill. That sound good? All right, there you go. Y'all give Drew a hand, and then raise your hand if you want it. Yeah. Boy, you better sit on the front row. <laughs> Giving it away. You know, this is really all, all for nothing unless what we give back to God is through relationship. Do you notice that Jesus never broke the bread when it was sitting on the ground? 
He didn't bless it anywhere but where? His hands. That's what we have to come to today. He has blessed so many of us, not just with money, but with talents, with gifts, with skill sets. And what we do oftentimes is, first off, we're not even grateful. And then we think we're wise enough to do with it what we want. And then we think, well, I can just, just go through the motions, and I'm pretty wise. I feel like God's given me wisdom, so I'm just going <coughs> to divvy it out as I see fit. You know what happens when we do that? We take every $10 bill, and all we hear is, well, God wants me to give it away, and we split it up into 10 ones. You know what that's called? It's called religion. That's what that is. That's where you think you know exactly how God's going to do it every time. But when we trust the Father and we give it all back to him, it's not always ten ones. Sometimes it's a five and another five or a five and five ones. But I just feel so strongly today that we have withheld some things from him and we haven't acknowledged that it's actually from the Father and that he wants to do. He wants to take us through that process. Go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're a life group leader, you can go ahead and make your way down here. You know, I said last week, and I, I meant it, that if we can't get this back to Jesus, it's all trash. It's just a dumb sermon that nobody's going to care about. But how many of you know that when Jesus came to earth and he was blessed, the Lord gave him a name above every name's that he allowed himself to get his life to go back into the hands of the Father. He didn't just go to the cross because he wanted to. He said, I give it all back to him. Jesus chose to be broken. We know that because he said, I don't really want to do this. If this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what the Father is dying to hear us say this morning of everything he's given us, not my will but yours be done. You've got to place it all in his hands. But it is through relationship that he takes us through the process where he takes us, he blesses us, he breaks us so that he can give us out. That's what I want my life to be this morning. So my challenge to you is, have you given everything to him that you're supposed to give to him? He requires it all. He doesn't want half of it back. He wants all of it back. That could mean that you've never given your life to Jesus and he wants you to come this morning and speak with somebody. They can help lead you and tell you about this king that we're talking about. Or maybe you're like, man, I've been selfish with everything he's given me, my money, my possessions, my skills, my talents. I've minimized it. I thought I had to just live under a rock and maybe one day somebody would come and ask me and say, hey, will you show us your gift? But he's like, no, you've got to give it back to the hands of the one that created it. And he'll do amazing things with that. Let me pray, and then as we're praying, as we're wrapping up, just feel free to come. If you want some prayer, just come pray about any issue. We would love to do that. So Jesus, we thank you today that you showed us the way that you came and you were broken for us. We are so grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and minds and attitudes of everybody here that says, man, I'm so convicted that I haven't given it all back to you. That place of surrender that says, God, I will put my life in your hands and allow myself whatever comes from you to break me so I'm not just this one entity, but I can 
reach a lost and dying world and multiple people. Lord, I thank you that you're going to speak to hearts today, that you're going to help and encourage. We just say we love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.